Well, hello there, and welcome to another edition of Servant's Heart Chapel. I hope uh, this particular episode is a special blessing to you. So let's get right to it. The series on poisonous, poisonous thoughts. We have there are things that we do in our minds that only causes pain and suffering and make it harder for us to be Christians, make us harder for us to serve God. There have been many times where I have met with someone and uh, they talk about how, oh, I want to follow the Lord. I want to do what's right. I'm, I'm tired of the sin in my life. I want to do this and that. But their words would not match their actions. They would talk about wanting to serve the Lord, but their lives reflected someone who was serving the devil. Proverbs 23 says that as a man thinks, so is he. What does that mean? It means at whatever you're going through your mind, your thoughts, that is the real you, our, our our, uh, our true self resides in our thoughts. It's true. We can, we can have somebody, you know, I can uh, come, come here and, and, and it, maybe I, I have a problem with Cody. You know, he really aggravates me. And, hey, Cody, good to see you in church today, buddy. Man, it's so wonderful to see you. Praise the Lord. I'm so excited, and in my mind thinking, I can't stand this guy. Which one is the real me, if I really believe that? It'd be, I, I, I could, I'd be a hater, wouldn't I? I'd be despising. I would be unloving, uncharitable. A hypocrite, yes. Because the real me would be whatever was going through my mind. That's the real you. And someone who is not a hypocrite is someone who, what they say and do, coincides with their thoughts. Well, that's good. In 2 Corinthians... Chapter 10, verses uh, 3 through 5, it says, For though we live in the body, we do not wage war in an unspiritual way, since the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, what does that mean? That means I, I, I am a, uh, a military vet. Um, I, at the very least, I've been at indirect combat, I call it. I did not get the opportunity to face somebody face-to-face, but I did get shot at. 
And I understand warfare. No. That's the whole idea. You try not to get shot. So you, uh, I understand, you know, facing an enemy. I understand some basic tactics. I, I understand flanking. I understand uh, the importance of maintaining a good supply line. I really get physical warfare. But that doesn't really help me that much in the Christian life because our battle as Christians occurs all in here. Did you know that? All in the mind, right. That's what this, that's what this verse is talking about, these scriptures here. Now we're to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Every thought that crosses our mind, we need to grab onto it and make sure that it's in obedience to Christ. This is where the battle for our soul resides. And instead of battling people and 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 you know, as we see in physical warfare, we're battling arguments and opinions. And we're not allowing evil thoughts to take seed in our mind. Someone, there are some people where there's this big war raging. Part of you wants to do what's right. Part of you wants to do what's wrong. Part of you wants to sin. Part of you wants to follow God. The Bible calls that devil-mindedness. In fact, James, in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 8, it says... A double-minded man or indecisive man is unstable in all his ways. You ever met anybody like that? They're just real wishy-washy. I knew a guy like that. When I first met him, he was real serious about following God. He said, Pastor Joe, I want to I want to, you know, meet with you a couple times a week. I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to, you know, I'm serious about this. I want to learn about God. I want to learn the Bible. And we would meet and he would ask great questions. And I thought, man, he's right on this. But there was something inside him still that wanted to sin. And in his case, it had to do with women. He couldn't say no to women. And at first he asked, Pastor Darrell, I know this is wrong. Please help me. To, to, to overcome this, to make the right decision. And when the moment I tried to do that, the moment I tried to help him, he, he rejected me and fought against me. And then I reminded him that he was the one who asked me to help him in the first place. And he apologized later, but, but he never came back to God. He's continued to be unstable in all his ways. He's never settled. That's not a good state to be in. Yes? No, probably not. We, whenever we allow poisonous thoughts in our lives, it causes us great pain and suffering. And I'm going to talk about all that. I'm going to talk about different types of, of toxic thoughts that we let in our minds, and it makes it, it it only causes us pain. But I'm also going to talk about some antidotes for each one, 
Every poisonous thought, if, if, if I start talking about a poisonous thought and you're like, man, that's me. I'm having trouble with this. Just pay attention because I'm going to talk about the antidote to that toxic thought. <clears throat> so let's get right on it, shall we? Uh, today, this week, we're going to talk about what I call poisonous thoughts of the past, present, and future. There is dissatisfaction with something. And, 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 and those poisonous thoughts are regret, complaint, and worry. Those are those three poisonous thoughts that I'm going to talk about today. Regret. Anybody know what regret is? What it means to regret? Yes, Annalie. Yeah, absolutely. Like maybe, yes. Yes, remorse for something you did. And it, sometimes it, it, it doesn't have to be even moral things. It can be, wow, I should not have eaten that entire cheesecake. And regret. Um, a, 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 we all regret. A writer, Kurt Vonnegut, once said, of all, uh, of all the words of mice and men, the saddest are, it might have been. Regret can be helpful to us. It can actually protect us. Did you know that? A certain amount of regret can be, you know, a child reaching their hand on a hot stove regrets it and learns you don't touch things that are hot. Um, years ago when we were in Florida, um, there was this little creek by our house called Turkey Creek. And it was, it was a pretty shallow creek. You know, you just you walk across it, real tiny. And a lot of people were, were tubing down it. It was still big enough, even though it was shallow, it was still big enough to tube down because there was plenty of water flow. And, and I thought, well, we need to do this, you know, because we had the, the entrance. They built a new entrance to it not far from our house. We could almost walk. We could walk to the entrance. And so we did that. And Missy uh, volunteered to drive that time and pick us up on the other end about a mile and a half or so uh, down the river. So a little lazy, slow-moving river. And so Cody and, and Shina went with me. They each had the little inner tube. And we went down. And uh, this is great. This is wonderful. Enjoying this. But we got to a part where the flow went into kind of a swampy area, a bunch of trees. It wasn't a normal river. And the flow was strong enough. It pushed us against these trees and didn't make it easy to continue on. And so I, I stepped off the inner tube uh, to, to push the tubes in. And I went underwater because it was very deep at that point. I didn't know that it went that deep. Uh, now, I, I'm not a strong swimmer, and my kids weren't strong swimmers. So I was a little concerned. I was actually terrified. But I kept, kept calm, and I'm you know, doing what I can, and some people who were nearby saw that I was having a little trouble, so they, they were better swimmers. They swam over and helped us along. 
But when we got to the end, I was like, yep, we're done. Never doing that again. I regretted it. And it, and it protected us from the future, any risk in the future. I have, I could, I could talk forever about regrets. I have plenty of regrets. Even as a kid, I was the kind of kid that would often ask the question, I wonder what would happen if, dot, dot, dot. And usually bloodshed would follow. Stitches, something, an ice pack. Uh, but it can become poisonous to us. And, 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 and we, we have regret of sin. There's things that I did that I'm ashamed of and I never want to do again. And that regret is helpful to me. But it can become poisonous to us in large amounts. If, if the devil allow, uses that against us and, it, it, you know, we're, we're constantly thinking about the past and regretting, oh, I'm a horrible person. What did I do? Oh, I'm so awful. And it's really like a child who keeps putting their hand on the stove over and over again. You're, you're torturing yourself. It goes from being a helpful protectant to a torturing device. And it causes depression and anxiety. And you feel like, oh, I'm not very, I'm, I'm a terrible Christian. I might as well just give up. I, I, I'm, I'm never going to be a, a, a good uh, Christ follower at all. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 says this, Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. Now when he said, when he said at the beginning, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, I haven't won the crown yet, Paul was saying. I haven't crossed the finish line yet. But what I am going to do, I'm going to forget about the past, not worry about that, not be concerned, not be just overwhelmed with regret. See, Paul did some horrible things. Paul tortured people to try to get them to reject Jesus. Paul uh, arrested people knowing that they were most likely going to be sent to their death. And Paul said, I'm going to forget about all that stuff that happened in the past, and I'm going to look forward. So here's, here's our antidote. We just let it go. They say, Pastor Darrell, I can't let it go. Well, ask God to help you let it go. Whatever you can't do, God can help you do. I've seen it. People suddenly find it in themselves to be able to let go and just move on and go, you know what? I did a bad thing, but Jesus loves me.
regret. First Peter First Peter chapter five, verse seven. It says, casting all your care on him because he cares for you. What does it mean to cast your care upon God? It means that there's something on your mind that's bothering you. You say, God, I need your help with this. Can you handle this for me? Casting your care. That is praying. You're right. Absolutely praying. No, not at all. Yes. Well, I mean, it's the thing about your children, right? I don't know about you, but um, my kids would bring me things that they maybe had broken or they, they couldn't figure out, and, and, and they wanted me to fix it. So Shana, went, uh, Shana got her first American doll. American Girl doll. She was so excited. But one of the eyes wasn't opening properly. And so, Dad, I'll fix this. And so I, I pulled the doll's head off to try to access the eyeballs to try to fix it. And then Shana looked at me with her doll's head in my hand and freaked out. Because, <laughs> Dad, I didn't think of what how... The little girl might perceive that. Um, it is creepy, yes. So I very quickly put the head back on and said, See, she's okay. She's okay. Yeah. Right. That's right. But my children have brought me things to, to fix for them, right? And I'm sure your kids have too. And I know I give my dad, can you fix this? My parents a lot of times. There were times when I was in college. Uh, a couple times when I was in college, I, I had barely any money at all. And, and my car broke down. I needed my car for work. And I had no money. And so I called dad, dad, I need your help. And he got on the phone with the repair shop and, and he paid for the repair. He fixed it. I, I cast my care on my earthly parents. And my kids have casted their cares. They're sharing the burden. Here, this is broke. And, and so things in our lives, our hearts, whether it's regret or anything else, it's broken. I can't fix it, God. Can you fix it, please? Now, what do you? Th if we're happy to fix something for our children, how do you think God? How do you think He feels about fixing things for us? He's more than happy to do it. That's right. So regret is the first poison. That, that we deal with, that, and, and, and the antidote for that is to let it go and let God. There's a popular saying, let go and let God. That's, that fits this perfectly. The second poison is complaint. 
to complain. This is a very common sin. It's very easy to do. I have, I am guilty of it a lot more than I'm willing to admit. It's very easy to fall in that trap. Christians who have been Christians for decades can fall into this. I sat in a, uh, a church meeting where we had around 700 people in attendance. And a man got up and preached uncomplaining. And almost the entire church came forward to pray. 700 people. Clear the pews. Why? Because all of them had been dealing with complaining and they were convicted when, when the preacher preached on complaining. Benjamin Franklin once said, any fool can criticize, condemn, and complain, and most fools do. I like that. Complaint. There's a risk to complaining. You can, you can, it, it, it can become such a way of life that that's pretty much all it, that is left in you. Um, in C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, uh, there's, there's a character, well, C.S. Lewis talks about one of the characters, they spend their life complaining, they spend their life grumbling, and now all that's left is the grumble. The person is gone. The person has been just enveloped in this grumble. I've known older people like that. Or some of the senior citizens who have been serving God for decades. They've been living for the Lord, but they're so unhappy. And they're just miserable. And they don't see it at all. They're completely blind to it. And so I've always, I, I, and I said, I've strived to, I don't want to be like that. When I get old, I don't want to be like that. I, I, want to, I want to be aware of that. But even then, I've noticed in my life, it's been very easy for me to fall into, into grumbling. I remember uh, back in 2015, when we first bought our house, the, uh, uh, after a few days, we discovered the main sewer line was completely messed up and needed to be completely dug out and replaced. And after getting a quote from a plumber for several thousand dollars, I said, well, I guess I'll be doing this myself. And so I went out there with a pickaxe and shovel, and after about 10 minutes, realized I really wasn't a man, because uh, that was killer. Uh, and I just, I went out there and hacked away. I spent days and weeks and months just hacking away because we ended up, I think it ended up being like three and a half feet deep before you got to the end point at least. It was, it was, it was just an arduous. And then all the, and then while that was going on, while I was trying to dig it out and get to the line and find the blockage and, and do the repair, um, we had to open up our, uh, the, the plug in our side yard so we could use our toilets and showers and so sewage was going into our yard, and I wasn't happy about that. Um, and I was telling a friend of mine, a good Christian man, told him about what happened, and 
and now now we have this you know sewage going into our yard and you say well at least you uh, have the ability to do that so you can use your toilets and and showers and such and i thought i got the wrong attitude <laughs> I was focused on what was wrong, and he immediately saw what was right about the situation. That's what I want to be, the kind of Christian I want to be. I want a person, no matter what, always sees what's right about a situation and not what's wrong with it. Complaining. Complaining, it's the present, whereas regret was an unhappiness, a dissatisfaction about the past. Complaining is a dissatisfaction about the present. It's uh, and, and and it causes it, one. It doesn't do us any good, right? It, it it takes away, it steals our joy. Any joy we may have, any happiness, it's gone, right? We're so unhappy. Plus, it also ruins our witness. If people are around you, and maybe they're not Christians, and they see you, and you're just a complaining person, always miserable, always unhappy, they're not going to want to be like that. I think it was Gandhi who said um, something like, I, I like Jesus, but I'm not so sure about his followers, or something like that. I don't know what happened with the Christians that he was around, but maybe it was maybe they were complainers. Um, this this attitude I would be happier it's all about I would just be happier if dot 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 if I didn't have to stand in line so long if I had more money I'd be happier if if I didn't have this car problem I'd be happier if if everybody would else would cater to my wants and needs I'd be happier uh, that's that's this idea, and, and it's a false. It's a false idea. You're, you're chasing a rainbow. You'll never reach it. Complaining comes in many forms. It can be just the way you present yourself. This tenseness that you, you get tense when when the line's taking too long. Yelling at somebody who who just cut you off. Um. Talking bad about somebody. All different forms of complaining. James 5, James chapter 5, verse James chapter 5, verse 9. Brothers, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged or condemned. Look, the judge stands at the door. Boy, we are warned. Do not complain about other people. What's the antidote 
for complaining. Let's look at 1 Timothy. I'm sorry? Pray will definitely help, but there's, there's an antidote attitude and thought that will help with complaining. And that is found in 1 Timothy chapter 5. I'm sorry, Timothy 6. 6. But godliness with contentment is a great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. But if we had food and clothing, we will be content with these. Being content, bud. Not eating. Content. You know what content means? Okay. What did you say? Nope. Happiness. Happiness is what you have. I am content. You know, eating can be a good illustration. When you've had a good meal, you've you feel content, don't you? Pay attention. No. But I'm trying to answer your question, and you didn't hear what I said. You, it's like eating in that when you finish, when you finish a meal, you feel, you feel satisfied, don't you? Well, that was good. I'm going to take a nap now or something, you know, just relax. That's contentment. That's what contentment is. I'm content. The world is, is good. I'm happy. So whether I live in a mansion or in a tent, I'm content. If I, if I have lots of clothes or if I have one set of clothes that I wash every night, I'm content. I'm content. I, I, I don't always want something more. That's That's, an, that's the antidote for complaining, is, is deciding, okay, I want to be content. Now, part, how, how, do I, how do I become content? I mean, well, first thing you do, Marcus mentioned, you pray. God, help me to be content with my life. You want your, your, and I'm, I'm going to get more into this later, but you want your, if you're not content, then the source of your satisfaction in life is wrong. That's discontent. Yes, absolutely. Yes. That's content. You're satisfied with what you have. You don't need more stuff in order to be happy. There's always going to be someone with a better truck, better house, better cars, better clothes. There's always going to be somebody richer and smarter and better looking. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. 
One of my favorite examples of, uh, of someone leading a content life was many years ago, I got to drive uh, a pastor who I considered a mentor uh, to the airport in Florida. His brother Stetler, Daryl Stetler's dad. I've known Brother Stetler for many years. Brother Stetler was the one who married Missy and I. He actually married Shannon and Emmett. Um, and so I took him to the airport. And this is before, this is as GPS was really just coming online. And I had a very rudimentary GPS. And I was using that as a guide. And I messed up and missed the exit. And the next place for me to turn around was going to be 16 miles down the road. And so I got there and I turned around and I drove back and then I missed the exit again. And needless to say, uh, Brother Stetler missed his flight. And instead of an eight-hour day, it turned into an 18-hour day. So I added 10 hours to his travel day. And I felt horrible. I made his day so much longer, and he had to wait, you know, long periods of time. But he's like, Daryl, don't worry about it. He said, I have some Bible study stuff on my phone. This is BlackBerry back back then. Yeah, has some Bible study. I, I can sit here and and work on sermons while I'm waiting for my next flight. And he meant it. And he was good with it. Even though I had significantly inconvenienced him, he was good with it. Um, they'd be very upset, wouldn't they? Turn an eight-hour day into an 18-hour day? Yeah. I would, I would rather be like Brother Stetler, where I... If something goes wrong, okay. You know? Life is much better with contentment. And contentment, working on being content will help you with complaining. Let's uh, wrap this up with our last one, our last toxic thought, and that is worry. Now, regret was about the past. Complaining was about the present. Worry is about the future. Some call worry as momentary atheism. We, we act as if there is no God. And so we worry about what might or might not happen in the future. Uh, I God has helped me over the years with, you know, uh, to trust him with things. And for me, the most significant and recent memory would be when I retired from the military. I knew I was retiring at the end of 2016. And I didn't have a job lined up. There was some talk about a possible job. I knew God wanted me to stay here. And continue pastoring this church. I also knew that we didn't have enough money coming into the church to pay my salary. To give me a living wage. So, 
I, I prayed about it, and I really, I thought, I felt like God had it under control. But as I got closer to my retirement date, I began getting a little more concerned. And I started to worry. How am I going to provide for my family? And I thought, you know what? I'm going to, there's a, there's a job uh, fair coming up. I am going to go there. Um, I know I had a, a certification in process improvement, which is a very popular certification. Um, a lot of industries love it and want it. And I had, not only was I certified at a high high level, but I also had 10 years experience in process improvement. So I thought I should have no problem getting connections for a job. And so I went to this job there here in Clovis. It was at the, the Civic Center. And I, I talked to well over 100 different companies. And I walked out of that place with nothing. Not one person was the least bit interested in me. And I said, okay, God, I get it. And so I just left it to the Lord. And you know, you know what happened. A few months later, when I would need it, actually about two weeks, I think, three weeks, two weeks. Two weeks after I officially retired from the Air Force, I got a call with a job officer author on base. God took care of me. I didn't need to worry. Worry. Let's Matthew chapter six, verse twenty-five. This is why I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? So why worry? Worry hurts us. It, it steals our joy. It, it, it hurts our faith in God. And, and yes, Matthew 6.25. It hurts our, our faith in God. To worry about tomorrow, what, what may or may not happen. The antidote to worry is just to give it to God. Just trust Him. Dale Carnegie, in his book, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, said this, when I asked Henry Ford if he ever worried, he replied, no, I believe God is managing affairs and he doesn't need any advice from me. With God in charge, I believe that everything will work out for the best in the end. I like that. God has things under control. He doesn't need my advice, my input. And so I'll just do whatever God gives me to do and leave the rest to Him. I'm not going to worry about it. I used to worry so much about people. 
in our church. And I had to learn to trust and let, let God take care of it. Some people do well and grow in the Lord. Some people reject God and fall away from Him. That's God's domain. It's not, that's not my responsibility. Philippians chapter 4. There we go. Well, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7. Don't worry about any don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So that's our that's our antidote. Through prayer, we give it to the Lord. We talk, tell God what concerns we have, give it to God, let him take care of it. So regret, complaint, worry, the past, the present, the future. All of them have to do with, with getting our satisfaction, our life satisfaction from things other than God. So if you're having trouble with one of these, you ask yourself, where am I getting my sense of satisfaction from? Is it from God? Is it from things I, I did or didn't do in the past? Is it my current circumstances? Or is it what I'm afraid may or may not happen in the future? God, help us to, to trust in Him through all of this. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, today's episode. If you have any questions, feel free to email us at ServantsHeartChapel at gmail.com. Also, we have a website, ServantsHeartChapel.org. Um, we also have a Facebook page, so you're welcome to check us out. I'd love to hear from you, prayer requests, anything you may need. We are here for you. Have a wonderful and blessed day.